Well, welcome everyone. We are so glad that you're here. Take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I love, I love Easter. I love this day when we celebrate the resurrected Lord. In in truth, we who are followers of Christ celebrate the resurrected Lord every day, and especially every Sunday. But then on this special day, our hearts, our minds are taken to the truth that Jesus Christ is indeed not in the grave, that he is risen. This is the day we celebrate the greatest event in human history. 2,000 years ago, a man walked on the earth who claimed to be God. He taught, he healed, he blessed, he stirred things up. And as a result, the leaders of his day had him brought up on false charges and executed. They put him to death. They didn't just kill him, by the way. They tortured him. They humiliated him by putting him to death by a horrifying means known as the cross. But even even while hanging on the cross, think about this, even while hanging on the cross, Jesus stayed on mission. He stayed on the truth about why he was there. There are two thieves who are crucified on either side of him, and on one side of him, one of the thieves declared that indeed Jesus who was who he said he was, asked him to remember him when he came into the kingdom. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and today you're going to be with me in paradise. Even while being tortured and put to death and people mocking him and hurling insults against him, he looks down on the people who are doing this and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right before he dies... Jesus says these words, it is finished. Really, the words are more than just this is done. It's the words, I have come and accomplished everything that's been given me to do. When he says it's finished, he's saying my mission here on earth is is really done. But what is finished? And if it's finished, is it really finished? Well, this is no ordinary story. This is no ordinary man. The story of his death was, in fact, told some 700 years before he was ever born. The means of his death, how he would die, his resurrection, it's all laid out in God's grand design, but really no much more specifically than we see in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53. From the writings of the prophet Isaiah, he tells us that the Messiah is going to come. He tells us how he's going to die. He tells us why he's going to die. He gives us God's plan 700 years before it ever comes to pass. And in the phrase um, that he's going to use, we're going to look at it in just a moment, but in Isaiah 53, 2, basically the prophet Isaiah says some strange words. He says, There was nothing attractive about him that would draw us to him. Don't you find that funny or odd? 
that the Messiah was going to come, but there wasn't going to be anything attractive by the way he looked or maybe even by the way he acted or whatever the case may be. He was not going to attract people to him by his external appearance. You know, it's really incredible because we judge almost entirely by externals and appearances, don't we? But when Jesus came, he didn't try to impress at that level. He doesn't respect false appearances. When Jesus moved around, it wasn't like those old Jesus videos. You remember those old Jesus videos where uh, Jesus is walking around? He's the only one in white. He's like got great hair, great teeth. Uh, There's this holy glow about him. He's the tallest white guy in the middle of a whole pack of people. I mean, your eye is, in those videos, it's just drawn to that one person because you know that's Jesus right there in the middle. The prophet Isaiah says just the opposite. There's nothing attractive about him that's going to draw us to him. He was so ordinary looking that when the woman at the well came and met him, she had no idea that he was anything special. Why would... Why would Judas have to kiss Jesus in the garden to identify him to people? There was nothing that stood out about his appearance. The question that comes up at times is, why would God send us an unattractive Jesus? I mean, really, why, why, about, why would God send us a son, God incarnate, who probably didn't have straight teeth, who didn't look all that great, who... Why did God send us an ugly Jesus? I I know the question sounds funny on this Easter morning, but there's something to the question that in turn means everything to us. Why was it even important for the prophet Isaiah to point this out to us 700 years before he was born? What does that mean for us on this Resurrection Sunday when we celebrate Not just his death, but the fact that he rose from the dead as well. Let's look at these truths together. The first one is this. Jesus was unattractive to the world. Jesus was unattractive to the world. Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. A couple of years ago, uh, an organization called Pew, P-E-W, Pew Research, which investigates what people think about the church and about Jesus, did a study. And what they found out two years ago was that Jesus had a 90% approval rating. When people were asked, what do you think about Jesus? He had a 90% approval rating. Yay, Jesus. How could Jesus have a 90% approval rating among Americans? I would contend because most people don't know the real Jesus. Most people, when they think about Jesus, who don't know him, actually think about some sort of sanitized version of Jesus. Watch this video. Fourth down, maybe about two yards to keep this drive alive. 
John 3.16? What's that? I don't know. I've seen it before. I'll look it up. Thomas knocks him down and he helps him right back up. Johnson's going to be seeing eye black in his sleep. Two years ago, this commercial was submitted to be played during the Super Bowl and Fox TV rejected it as being too offensive. Why is that? Why is that? Because there are a lot of things you can claim about Jesus. You can claim he was a great teacher and be okay. You can claim he was a great man and still probably be okay. You can say that some bad men killed him. You can say that he went around doing good. You can say that he was healer. But as soon as you start to claim that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, God incarnate, the Son of God, it is offensive to the world. Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, was talking over with one of his members about topics that he could teach at church. And the church member asked him, what are the toughest topics that he had preached on? And he listed off some, hell, money, sex, relational confrontation, self-discipline. But the man asked, of all the topics that you've taught on, which is the hardest to get across and the most offensive to people? And Bill Hybels, without pausing, said, I didn't even have to think about it. Becoming totally devoted to Christ is the toughest topic to preach on. You see, most of us, we don't love the real Jesus. We don't love the Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We love the Jesus who is a great teacher. We love the Jesus who is a good man. We love the Jesus who is a pacifist. We love the Jesus who was many things. But as soon as you start claiming that Jesus was the Son of God, he becomes unattractive to the world. C.S. Lewis, in one of his writings, a very famous writing, doesn't give us that option. And here's why. Here's what he says. It's a little longer quote, but uh, it's a a beautiful way to be worded. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, meaning Jesus. I'm ready, and this is what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic or either he would be the devil of hell. You make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. C.S. Lewis's famous teaching on he was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord stands true today. And in fact, that's one of the things that makes him unattractive to the world. Think about how unsafe this Jesus was. This Jesus, this Jesus allowed a known prostitute to take his shoes off and wash his feet. 
this Jesus went to dinner at the house of a tax collector. This Jesus went into the established religious order and turned over tables and shook things up and cast people out of the temple. He challenged the religious leaders of his time. He had followers that came from the lower classes of people, not the upper classes. He wasn't a Jesus just for the beautiful people. And as a result, it made him unattractive to the world. And still does. But Jesus was unattractive, not just to be unattractive, he was unattractive for you, on your behalf. Verses 4 through 6 of Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Down in verse 8, skipping a verse, down to verse 8, it says, He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come in an unattractive form? He was unattractive for us. He wanted to be like us so that we could become like him. I mean, think about it like this. What if Jesus came and he was the most beautiful man, handsome man that had ever been born on the planet? We could say, you know what? Jesus, I, Jesus doesn't really know me. I mean, I'm not all that beautiful. I'm not all that handsome. I'm not, he doesn't really understand me. One of the things you cannot say about Jesus is that he can't relate to you. Because no matter who you are or what you're going through, God incarnate purposefully came in an unattractive form so that people wouldn't be drawn to that, but instead would be drawn to the truth of God's word. The devil's schemes against each and every one of us is to claim that they just don't understand. God just doesn't understand what I've been through. The truth of this is that Jesus came and was inflicted and unattractive in order that we wouldn't have to carry this crushing load that many of us have upon us. Not only was Jesus incredibly unattractive, but the cross was, it was brutal what was done to his body. Friday night, uh, Kathy and I and the girls watched, again, the 2004 movie, The Passion of the Christ, to remember what Christ did on our behalf. And it is, it is in visual form what we read and then see it is overwhelming. I, can, I cannot see that movie without crying and thinking how his body was broken for us. Look at the words that Isaiah uses here for us. He took up our infirmities. 
a bodily ailment or disease is an infirmity. Through sin, sickness and death entered the world. Jesus came to restore what had been broken. And we have some healing now, physical healing. I I believe God still heals supernaturally and physically, and it's because of the cross of Christ that that occurs. But not all of us are healed all the time at every moment yet, but there is coming a day when that will be true. He ultimately takes all sickness and all death onto himself, and it will be eradicated. He carries our sorrows. Our sin and our lives come with such regret and sorrow. He came to trade our sorrows for his joy. Many people here today, I know, are living with the crushing burden of regret and sorrow that's just overwhelming us because of life choices, either things done to us or things we did ourselves. Jesus came to carry our sorrows so that you wouldn't have to. He was pierced, pierced for our transgressions. This has to do with the violation of God's laws. We've all sinned. We all carry around the shame and consequences of our sins, our transgressions, our wrongdoings. But Jesus Christ was literally pierced for our transgressions. He came and he died to take away our shame. One of the incredible truths of this passage is that God is on our side. How much so? He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was literally crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities is really has to do with, it has to do with injustice. He paid the penalty for injustice. Both the ones we've committed and the ones we've committed against others. Today, Easter, is a day when many of us, we dress a little nicer. We up our game, so to speak, in what we wear. I'm wearing exactly what my wife told me to wear. (laughs) But we up our game. Some churches, they have this time where they have a children's sermon. Have you ever been to a church that does a children's sermon? Where they have all the kids come down, do like a little sermonette uh, in the middle of the service. The kids come up, they meet with the preacher. He asks them some questions and gives them a little Bible lesson. Well, on Easter one Sunday, all the kids congregated around uh, Pastor Daniels. And he noticed the beautiful clothes they were wearing. And he commented on one girl's pretty little dress. He asked her if it was new and her reply was loud enough came through the mic for everyone to hear. And she said, yes, this is my new Easter dress. And mommy said it was even harder to iron than it was to listen to one of your sermons. (laughs) Sometimes what we wear can't hide what's really going on inside, can it? About five or six years ago, you may remember if you were here, that Kathy ended up in the hospital on Good Friday. She was having a heart issue, and she had an angiogram on Saturday uh, before Easter Sunday morning. And almost the last words as Kathy was being wheeled away to go to her angiogram was, I set the girls' dresses out. The boys' shirts are here. Please iron them 
and take care of them so that they look good tomorrow morning. Bye, honey, I love you. Off into the... Well, thanks to some good friends like Wendy, Carrie, and Cheryl, th- clothes were ironed. <laughs> they looked good, even though Kathy was in the hospital on Easter morning. We have a tradition of dressing up on Easter. And I, I know that it's a tradition that we do because we, we love God. But for some people, it's almost as if our righteous acts are on display. In a spiritual sense, sometimes we feel like that we've got to act righteous in order to be righteous. We know that we've got all these unrighteous acts that we've done, and we think if we can work hard enough, we can somehow tip the scales in our favor. I've got this unrighteousness acts over here. Yes, I've done some things wrong, but maybe if I do enough good things, I can tip the scales in my favor. The bad news is that not only can we not do enough to tip the scales in our favor, but Paul says even the best things that we do, the best righteous acts that we do are like filthy rags before God. So some of us are working really hard to undo the unrighteous, and really what we're doing is our righteous acts are so bad, we're just actually piling them on top of our unrighteousness already. But the good news, the gospel, the great news is this. What you couldn't do, Jesus came to do for you. It says in Corinthians, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do we become right in God's sight? We become right in God's sight because of what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. He became sin. He was made sin in order that we could become right. And there is no other way to be right. You can't earn your way to be right. You can't pay money to be right. You can't dress up to be right. You can't do your hair to be right. You can't um, be the greatest dad or the greatest mom or the greatest student. Whatever you have that you think will make you right won't make you right, but Jesus came. He was made sin so that we could become right in God's sight. Not only this was he unattractive for you, but he was unattractive by God's divine design. This is the way God meant it to be. Listen to these passages. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth. It's saying he didn't speak back. He didn't fight back. Why? Because this was by design. Verse 10 said, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Verse 12, therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What's common in all these three verses? 
is that Jesus willingly went to die on the cross. It was by God's divine design. It was the Lord's will. Jesus did not die as an example for you. Jesus did not die as a martyr. Jesus died purposefully by God's design. In order, because it was the only way that our sinful acts could be paid for. It's the only way that we could be made right in God's sight. Why does Jesus boldly say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but by me. Because there is only one way to become right in God's sight. There may be many roads to Jesus, but there's only one way to God. According to Revelation, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Isaiah's words were written 700. The words we're reading this morning, you would think these were written after the crucifixion, but they're written 700 years before. It's all part of God's plan. Why would God do this? Why would God come to earth in the form of a man, go to the cross, take our sins, and die on our behalf? There is no other truth than this, because God loves us. You may not love yourself. You may not love the person next to you. You may not love everyone, but God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. God loves not only us, God loves all people. You know, sometimes the greatest spiritual truths are found in children's songs. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Not only them, but you too. He loves us all, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of socioeconomic factors. Jesus loves us so much that he sent and came to die on our behalf. What do we have to do to appropriate this? We receive him as the one who leads our lives and forgives our sins. He carried the crushing weight of sin on himself so that we wouldn't have to. Death, the cross, though, it wasn't the end of the story, was it? Jesus proved that he was who he said he was, and he came to do what he said he came to do. It was proven by his rising from the dead. Death couldn't hold him, and through him... It can't hold us either. When you come to Jesus, it's as if he's saying, listen to this very carefully, it's as if he's saying, I don't want your best. I want your worst. I want the ugliest thing about you. I want you to bring it and put it on me because I came to carry it. Some of you this morning, are carrying around the weight of sin, injustice, things that were done to you. Some of you here were sexually molested as children. Some of you here have uh, done what you would think is a, a really unspeakable acts. 
You wouldn't ever tell anybody about what you did. Some of us have such stuff and junk and regret, we think we can never get this off of us. Let me tell you, Jesus came to carry it all. I want to ask you this this morning. Don't answer out loud. What is the most unattractive thing about you? What is the ugliest thing about you that you hope no one ever knows? Maybe it's something someone did to you. Maybe it's something that you've done yourself. In your bulletin, there is a colored index card. If you didn't get one, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Everybody, take that colored index card out, either from the bulletin or the seat back in front of you, and get a pen. And I want you to write on this card what it is that you would consider the most unattractive, ugliest thing about you. The thing that you hope no one ever knows. Now, let me just say this. Don't look at the person's card next to you. And if you're afraid somebody's going to look at your card, then just write it in code. No one's going to see this. No one, this is between you and the Lord. The thing, some of you may need to take a moment because you may have a list of things that you want to put on this card. I'm not being funny in the sense, I mean, you may have some things that is more than one that you want to put on this card. It may be the thing that you know if, if you just live with regret over. Whatever it is, I want you to just write it on the card right now. When you've done that, just fold the card in half and then stand up with me. I want everybody to do this. If you didn't do it, do it. If for some reason you've resisted, this is really important for you, do it. I feel some rebellion going on here. So just give people a moment. Write it on the card, then fold the card in half and then stand up. Wait till everybody's finished, everybody's standing, and then I want you to take the card in your hand. Close your eyes, and we're going to pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to this earth and dying for me. I thank you, beautiful Jesus, that you came in an unattractive form for me. came to die for my sin. Lord, whatever this thing is on this card, I I choose not to carry it anymore. And instead, I want to declare it is finished. And I give it to you today. I believe in faith that you came to make me right and to take away my shame. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you became sin who knew no sin so that I could become right in God's sight.
And Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to tear up your card and then I would like for everybody to come and just put it at the foot of the cross. Just tear it up as much as you want to. And as Adrian sings over us, just come and lay it at the foot of the cross. have a seat but look at all the junk that is laid at the feet of Jesus and that's just one people in one place at one time in history in just a moment we're going to take up an offering and we don't see offering as something that's done out of duty or obligation but rather we see offering something that's an act of worship we're given a small portion of resources, money, back to God as a declaration that we're His totally and completely. So if you'd like to give, give freely and give unto the Lord. Uh, If you're a guest here, we would ask that you take the white card that is also in your bulletin. It's a connection card. Fill it out and put it in the offering plate when it's passed in just a moment. 
That way we can know you are here and we won't hassle you. What we do with these cards is we pray over all the guests that were here. Now, if you're a regular attender at Fullness, you know to put on that card any prayer request you've got and we'll pray for you this week. Paul in Ephesians prays this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, listen to this, you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of our inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when? When, church? When he raised him from the dead. The hope that you have, the power that you have, who we are in him is demonstrated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul also says in the book of Romans that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He's saying we won't die. We'll die physically, but we'll be with him forever. The benefit of knowing Jesus Christ is that the resurrection of the Christ is a promise that we too will be raised from the dead. And one last verse, 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into, this is a great passage, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not only did Jesus take all your ugly, unattractive stuff on him, he gives you hope, a living hope, a hope not just for this life, but for one to come. Our response to him is to be forever grateful because forever he is glorified, forever he is lifted high forever he is risen he's alive he's alive church let's worship through the giving of an offering and a celebration of the risen lord darkness, a 